Well, I want you to go ahead and open your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, we're going to be beginning in verse 1. Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 1 as we uh, continue to follow the footsteps of Jesus. Last week, I told you we've really already been doing it, but uh, as I told you last week, uh, we're going to begin looking at the life of Jesus in chronological order. And so, you know, again, when we think about that old uh, saying, uh, what would Jesus do? Well, let's discover what Jesus did. Amen. The best way to know what Jesus would do is by seeing uh, exactly what he did. You know, the, one of the number one phrases that we find within the Word of God of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Jesus said continually. He said many, many, many times, he said, follow me. In fact, we find in the Word of God in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24, uh, I'll get to Matthew chapter 3 in just a minute, but in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24, Jesus said this. He said, then Jesus said to his disciples, whose disciples, disciples are followers of Jesus Christ. There's a, de a definition that in every area, in every aspect of their life, they're going to be a follower. Amen. And so Jesus said to his disciples, his followers, if anyone wishes to come after after me, he must, must, amen, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. He said he must do this. If anybody wishes to come after me, if anybody wishes to follow me, if anybody wishes to be my disciple, this is what they must do, Jesus said. They have to deny themselves, That which says, you know, it's not about me. It's not about what, what I want, what my goals are, what my dreams are, what my visions are, what, what the way I look at things, the way I view things. No, it's all about Jesus Christ. He must deny himself, take up his cross. What is a cross? Excuse me, a cross is an instrument of death. And so we die to ourselves, and Jesus said, we follow him. We die to ourselves, and we follow Jesus Christ. Now, when it comes to looking at the things that Jesus did here upon this earth, you know, we, we uh, understand the Word of God, and John tells us as he begins to close out the Gospel of John, John tells us in John chapter 21, uh, beginning in verse 25, he says, And there are also many things in which Jesus did, which if they were written uh, in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books that would be written. So Jesus did so many things that John said all of the books of the world would not be able to contain if they were written down in detail. But what we do have, we have the written Word of God. Amen? And so as we have the written Word of God that tells us exactly the things that God wants us to know, we don't know everything that Jesus did. We don't know everything that Jesus taught. We don't know everywhere that Jesus went. We don't even know every miracle that Jesus performed. But what God does want us to know, God has recorded for us within his written word. Amen. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to take a look at God's word, his written word. And as we examine these things, we're going to say, okay, where am I? Where do I fit into all this? How can I apply this to my life to where I can truly deny myself and, and uh, take up my cross and follow Jesus Christ to where I can do that in my everyday life. Now, being saved is a one-time deal. Amen. Once you're saved, you're saved. You're sealed in the Holy 
Spirit until the day of redemption. But being a disciple is not just a daily deal, but it is every moment. It is an every second. It is an every breath deal. So every single day, every single moment, every single breath, we need to be putting in our heart and setting in our mind, okay, how am I going to be the disciple of Jesus Christ to where I, as a born-again believer that is a disciple of Christ, that is wanting to follow him, denying myself, taking up my cross, and following the Lordship of Jesus Christ. How am I going to do that? Well, we're going to do that by being obedient to his word and by being in tune with his spirit. Amen. So we find here in John, in Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, we find, first of all, John the Baptist. And so in order to put this, uh, put all of this uh, into context, we first need to look at John the Baptist. And the Bible says, now in those days, John uh, the Baptist was preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, what we, what we know from the word of God is that here it is that uh, John had come and we, we saw the miraculous birth of John through his mother, Elizabeth, who was advanced in age, who was barren up until God opened her womb and allowed her to have a child in her old age with Zacharias, her, uh, her husband. And so they knew who John the Baptist was going to be. And he had a very distinct, a very specific purpose. And that purpose was to come to be the forerunner of the Christ. And so now John started his ministry. Now we're assuming John was probably 30 years old at this time. The Bible tells us that Jesus in John chapter 4 and verse 2 that, uh, that uh, or, or rather, I'm sorry, in uh, 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 Matthew chapter, um, <clears throat> the, I'll get it right in just a minute. In Luke, the Bible tells us that Jesus uh, was about 30 years of age when he started his ministry. Now, that was the common age for uh, uh, someone, for a male to be accepted as being a teacher in Jewish culture. So we're assuming that John started his ministry as well somewhere around the age of 30. And so around this age of 30, probably about six months before the baptism of Jesus, John appears out in the wilderness, out there along the shores of, of, of the Jordan, and he's proclaiming this simple message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and he began telling them about the Messiah is beginning to tell them about the Christ the one who is to come he was asked himself by the Pharisees are you the Messiah are you the Christ and he said no I'm not the one I'm not him I'm not the one I'm simply here to tell you about the one that is to come and when John saw Jesus coming down towards the Jordan River we find in the gospel of John that that here it is that John the Baptist looked at Jesus and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So John knew exactly who Jesus was. Now they were cousins. Again, John was about six months older than Jesus. They, they, they grew up in different areas, in different regions, whether they knew each other as they were growing up. We don't know. But again, the Bible, uh, Jesus did many things that the Bible doesn't record. So whether they did or not, they probably did, but John knew exactly who Jesus was, even while a baby in his mother's womb, as he heard the voice of Mary, the Bible says he leapt with joy, even in the womb of his mother, John the Baptist knew who Jesus was, even in his mother's womb, 
He was anointed with the Holy Spirit to be the prophet of God. And so we skip on down to verse uh, to, to verse 11 there in Matthew chapter 3, and we begin putting things into our context as we find that John's been there for about six months now along the Jordan River preaching the Word of God, preaching the message of repentance, telling them that they need to get ready. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This time has come. You need to be prepared and so he then turns to his crowd upon this day and he says in verse 11 he begins to speak about himself first he says for uh, as for me i baptize you with water for repentance but he who is coming after me is mightier than i and i am not fit to remove his sandals he will baptize you with the holy spirit and with fire now in this text of scripture, John is telling us about three different types of baptism, right? Now, when we begin to think about baptism, we need to be reminded of what that word is, right? That word baptism is immersion, right? It's to be immersed or to, to literally be dipped, right? You can even use in, in modern language, I guess, dunked, right? Uh, that, that's what it literally means. To be immersed is what the meaning of that word is. And so the very first baptism, that he's talking about. He's talking about the baptism that he's doing. He says, I am baptizing you with a baptism of repentance. And so when we think of this baptism of repentance, this is, was done within water. Now, this was something that the Jews had already been doing. In fact, when a Gentile would convert over into Judaism, something that they would do as an initiation of converting them into Judaism from being a pagan heathen filthy Gentile, what they would do is they would take him and they would baptize him publicly. They would immerse him in the water and they would show that he had then converted from being a Gentile to being a Jew. We also find in the Old Testament that the priests would often wash themselves and they would bathe themselves and the high priest before going into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement, he would completely wash himself and he would wash himself thoroughly clean before entering into there. And so these things were common within the Jewish life, but now with Christianity, it's different because now baptism is now a symbol of what we have. Water baptism we're talking about is now a symbol of what happened to us the moment that we got saved, right? The moment that we got saved, water baptism is a picture. And I preached on this a few weeks ago. It is a picture of what takes place within us. It is the death, the burial, and the resurrection, a picture of that. We are, are picturing that we're going into a tomb. We're picturing that we're going down into that water and that we're dying to the old life. We're symbolizing the fact that we're raising up and we're walking in the newness of life. Does that save you? Absolutely not. The only thing that saves you is faith in Jesus Christ 
period, end of subject. You cannot add anything else to salvation other than faith in Jesus Christ. And so here it is that John says that my baptism is a baptism of repentance. And so as my baptism is a baptism of repentance, I'm putting you in the water. Even he was just symbolizing what had already taken place within their heart. They'd already made a decision to repent, right? What's interesting here is that John was baptizing Jews, right? And so that was a little bit different, but the Jews, they had, they had strayed off the path. They, they strayed off the way. They, they, they weren't focused upon God. They were focused more upon a secular world, and they were focused more upon a secular kingdom, and they were focused more upon the fact that, hey, we have the birthright, we're Jews, therefore we automatically uh, deserve the right to be children of God. And so now John is preaching to them about repentance, saying, that you know what, you don't deserve anything, and it's time for you to repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. You better get yourself right before the kingdom of God comes to its fulfillment. And so they were coming as Jews publicly to be baptized. The Pharisees came. They wanted to be baptized. And John said, no, I'm not going to have any part of you. You brood of vipers. You're just wanting to come and make this a spectacle, right? You're wanting to come and make this a show. You already think you are, have our, everything all worked out. I'm not baptizing you. And so when we look at this, we begin to understand those who are truly repented within their heart, John was baptizing. But then he said there's another type of baptism, but there's a baptism that not he is capable of doing or anyone else is capable of doing, and that is a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, in fact, we find several references of baptism of the Holy Spirit written down within the Scripture. And so as we find these references of baptism of the Holy Spirit written down within the Scripture, every single one of them point back to John. Every single one of them point back to John the Baptist. In fact, in Acts chapter 11, verse 16, here it is, Peter is saying this, and this is Peter is saying this. He said, and I remember the word of the Lord. He's saying it's the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so even Jesus is saying, this is what John said. Right? He said, I heard the word of the Lord saying to us, John said that I baptize you with water, but you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so what in the world does that mean? Does that mean that we receive an extra dose? We receive something beyond salvation? We receive something over and above salvation? Friends, nowhere in Scripture does it teach that. Nowhere in Scripture does it teach that. Right? There's many times in Scripture where people are filled with the Holy Spirit, but they're not re-receiving the Holy Spirit. They already have the Holy Spirit, but they're just being refilled with what they already have. Amen? And we need to be refilled with what we already, in fact, the Bible commands us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so as we look at that, we, we don't find that in Scripture. But what we do find in Scripture, we find in Romans chapter 8 and verse 9, it says this, for, for you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God 
dwells in you, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. In other words, if you don't have the Spirit, you don't have Jesus. Amen? If you don't have the Spirit of God, you don't belong to Jesus Christ. That's what the Word of God says. Romans chapter 8 and verse 9. If you don't have the Spirit of God dwelling within you, then you don't have Jesus Christ. You're not saved. But what happens to you the moment that you get saved, the very second that you get saved, the very second that those words come out of your mouth and, 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 and the truth penetrates from your heart, Jesus, save me. Or however you say it, it's not about the words and it's not about what we do. You don't even have to speak any words. Amen. You just put your faith and your trust in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus, I believe you. When I got saved, you know what? I didn't know anything. And all I could think of saying was, Jesus, I'm sorry. That's it. I'm sorry. That's all I could say. That's all, that's all I could, that I knew to say. And Jesus saved me. Amen. So it's not about any words that you say or any particular prayer that you pray. It's about the faith that's in your heart. Amen. Of Jesus Christ. And the moment that you put your faith and trust in the person of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God enters into your heart. And the very first, Holy Spirit, He does many, many things, but the very first thing He does is give you life. And He gives you everlasting life. And who puts the Holy Spirit there? Jesus does. Because John said that I come to baptize you with water, but one is coming that is greater than I am. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Again, what does that word mean? It means immersed. So you're going to be immersed in the Spirit and the power of God. And listen, when the Holy Spirit of God is within you, you have every bit of His power and His strength and His wisdom and His anointing within you. You just have to choose to walk in it. Amen? You have to choose to walk in it. But then John said something else. He said not only is, is Jesus going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit, but he's also going to baptize you with fire. And so this is where we kind of scratch our head and say, okay, well, what does that mean? That Jesus is going to baptize with fire. What is he talking about right here that, that he's going to baptize with fire? You know, we, we, we find uh, you know, people say, I'm on fire for Jesus. Amen. You say, well, that person's full of the Holy Spirit. So that must be, that must mean what Jesus, what John is talking about right here. And so as we look at this, say, well, is that necessarily what John is talking about right here? We do find scriptures that back up the, 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 the idea of when you're with Jesus, you're on fire with Jesus. So it's not a wrong saying, amen, to say that I'm on fire with Jesus. In fact, we, we find in Luke chapter 24, verse 32, it's it was when the two uh, disciples were walking with Jesus. They didn't know it was Jesus, right? Jesus had been crucified. He'd been buried three days later. Third day he rose from the grave. And so now Jesus bailed himself from those two disciples as they was wrong walking on the road to, to Emmaus. They didn't know who he was, but he began to teach them those Old Testament scriptures that talked about who the Christ was. At the very end, he revealed himself to them, and then he disappeared. And this is what they said in Luke chapter 24 and verse 32. It says, they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us? burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scripture to us. 
Oh, when Jesus is in our presence, we ought to be burning. Amen? We ought to be on fire, but that is not the baptism of fire that is being discussed right here that John is talking about. Was it a cleansing? Is it a purifying? No doubt, Scripture talks about the cleansing of fire, amen, the purification of fire and, 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 the, and the act of, 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 of what fire does. And, you know, as, as, we, as we look at that and we begin to understand Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 says, in, in, uh, as we look at this, we understand, though, that it, it is not the work of the Holy Spirit that cleanses us. It's the work of the blood of Jesus that cleanses us. Now, don't get me wrong, once we're saved, then the Holy Spirit very much has a work within our life of sanctification, of making us more and more holy. And the Holy Spirit very much has worked within our life as to not, to, to not just uh, uh, grow us, but to keep us. Amen? And praise God, He's at that work, and we're not left alone as orphans. He's at that work, but... That is not what saves us. Ephesians 1 verse 7 tells us this, In Him we have redemption through His blood. Through the blood of Jesus Christ. It is only through the blood of Jesus Christ that the Holy Spirit, that He is able to come into us and dwell within us. So it's not a fire of cleansing. But when we look at the text of Scripture, this is why it's important to, under, to, to, to uh, not take Scripture out of context. Amen. We need to back up Scripture with Scripture. We need to interpret Bible with Bible. If it says it here, it's going to say it somewhere else. Amen. And so as we look at this, say, well, what in the world does that mean that he says in, uh, in, in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11 that Jesus is going to baptize with, uh, with fire? What in the world is he talking? about well look at the previous well, look at the verse right above that verse 10 says the axe is already laid at the root of the trees therefore every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown where into the fire look at the verse right after that in verse 12 it says in his winnowing fork who he is the one that is coming after him the one who is greater than him the one who is going to baptize with the holy spirit and with fire he says right after that his winnowing fork is in his hand and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor and he will gather his wheat into the barn but he will burn up the shaft with the unquenchable fire he will take the wheat and he said oh you're mine you're coming with me but the shaft he's gonna burn them up with the fire so clearly, the fire of judgment that he's talking about. So what is John talking about? He says that one's coming after me that's greater than me, and he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit, which means that you're saved. And then he's going to also baptize with fire for those that aren't saved. The wheat are saved, they are baptized in the Holy Spirit of God. In other words, they have received the Holy Spirit of God. They're saved and they're sealed in the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. The shaft is burned up. 
We know very clearly in the word of God and that great white throne judgment takes place. Those whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life are going to be cast into the eternal lake of fire. John says, I baptize you with water, but one's coming after me, and he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit, and those that he doesn't baptize with the Holy Spirit, he's going to baptize them with fire. Either they're saved, and they're sealed in the Holy Spirit into the day of redemption, and they're going to be gathered up into the Father's house as the wheat is gathered up and brought into the barn, or they're going to be cast into the unquenchable fire. John said, the one that's coming after me is greater than I am. That means that Jesus' baptism is greater than John's baptism. Because Jesus is greater than John. John didn't say, I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Or the prophets of the preachers that come after me are going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. No, only the one that is greater that comes after me. Only he can do that. And I'm not going to baptize you with fire. No, I don't have the power and the authority to do that. Only Jesus can. Amen? But here it is as John is proclaiming that he has come and he is is baptizing them with water. And he's very clear that this is a baptism of repentance. So then something very interesting takes place immediately after this. It seems to be as he's saying this in verse 13 of Matthew chapter 3, it says, Then Jesus arrived from Galilee to the Jordan coming to John. It seemed as as he was saying this, right? As he was proclaiming these words, I baptize you with a baptism of repentance. This is a water baptism, but one who's coming after me, his baptism is going to be greater than mine because he's greater than I am, and he's the only one that is going to be able to do it. Of this one, I'm not even worthy to do the most menial and the lowliest of tasks of untying his sandals. He's greater than I am. And then here comes Jesus. Then Jesus arrived, verse 13, Matthew chapter 3. Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. Now, wait a minute. John is baptizing with the baptism of repentance. So this then presents a major problem. And of course, it's a theological problem, but this was a heart problem for John, right? Because he knew who Jesus was. And so as he comes up, he says but in verse 14, but John tried to prevent him saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Wait a minute. Jesus, you don't need a baptism of repentance, or you've never sinned. You have to have sin in your life to repent of anything, amen? And you've never sinned. There's never been a single time in your life that you have ever sinned. And and so therefore, Jesus, oh, I can't baptize you now. He told the Pharisees, he said, I'm not going to baptize you guys because you're not really truly repentant, right? You're trying to make a show out of this. But for Jesus, he had a totally different issue. Jesus, you have no reason to have a baptism of repentance. You have nothing to repent of. 
And in fact, you know, it's interesting that Jesus called John the greatest prophet that ever lived. The greatest prophet that ever lived. And you know what John said to Jesus? John said to Jesus, rather, I need to be baptized by you. You know what John was saying? I'm not perfect. There's some areas and needs of repentance within my life. Therefore, I should be the one being baptized by you. This totally confused John. He didn't understand it. He didn't get it. And, and there's still, even to this day, there's still a lot of confusion of why exactly was Jesus baptized. There's a lot of different theories. There's a lot of different ideas. As Jesus was stepping upon the scene, he had no reason to be baptized for a baptism of repentance. But he came out of an act of obedience. An act of obedience to who? An act of obedience to the Father. Amen? goes on in verse 15, he says, But Jesus answered him and said, Permit it at this time. Now when you look at the original wording of this, this permit it at this time, you get the idea that this is a one and only deal. Jesus is the only one that is going to partake of this type of, of baptism. And, and, and let's get back to the issue of water baptism. If water baptism saved, Jesus doesn't need to be saved. Amen? Jesus doesn't need to be saved. But Jesus was giving an outward picture of what was about to take place inwardly. We need to be reminded that Jesus was fully man the same time that he was fully God. We can't comprehend that. We can't com uh, understand that. But now is coming a time when Jesus reached the age of 30, when Jesus was no longer going to live as a man, that Jesus was no longer going to operate as a man, but Jesus was going to fully walk in the Spirit of God, not in his own deity. No, he put that to the side. He refused to walk in his own power and his own strength and his own deity. He could have, but he chose not to. Rather, he chose to walk in the power of the Spirit of God. Amen? Every one of us have that same ability. Does that mean every one of us are going to do it like Jesus did it? Of course not. Of course not. But here it is, Jesus said, permitted at this time. For in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted it. Jesus said, this is going to fulfill all righteousness. See, Jesus was perfectly obedient to the Father. Jesus perfectly fulfilled the law. Although there was no specific law granting this type of baptism. You know, Jesus was the high priest. Maybe this was his, his, his cleansing before entering in his, into his ministry. Certainly, beyond a shadow of doubt, we'll see in just a minute, this was his coronation of entering into his ministry. Permitted at this time. This fulfills all righteousness. And then 
John still probably didn't understand it all. We still don't really understand it all. But John permitted it. You know why John permitted it? Because Jesus said it's okay. Amen? It's okay when we don't fully understand everything there is to understand because we don't fully understand everything there is to understand. We don't get it all. But Jesus says it's okay. Jesus says we do it. Therefore, we're going to do it. The Father wanted Jesus to be baptized. We see this clearly in verse 16 and 17. It says, in being baptized, Jesus came up Immediately from the water, behold, the heavens were open. He saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. If there's ever a perfect picture of the Trinity... There it is. How can anybody deny the Trinity? There it is. I mean, it is so extraordinarily clear right there within that text of Scripture. Jesus is in the Jordan River being baptized. The heavens opened up. The Holy Spirit descend down upon Jesus as a dove. And the Father says, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. The Father's God. Jesus is God. Jesus didn't stop being God, ever. It's impossible for Jesus to stop being God. And the Holy Spirit is God. You see, here was an act of obedience. An act of obedience on John's part. Say, okay, Jesus, I don't fully get this. I don't understand this, but I'm going to do it because you said it's okay. Of course, Jesus got it. Jesus understood it. Jesus knew what the purpose of it was. It is to fulfill all righteousness. This is the Father's plan. And since it's the Father's plan, I'm going to do it. And therefore, Jesus humbled himself. You know, Jesus was greater and is greater than John the Baptist. In fact, when Jesus started his ministry, more and more people stopped following John and started following Jesus. And they came up to John and said, John, all your followers left and now they're following Jesus. And John said, this is the way it's supposed to be. In John 3.30, one of the greatest scriptures in the Bible, he must become greater and greater and I must become lesser and lesser. Amen? John knew his role, and his role was over. He was the forerunner of the Christ. Christ has stepped on the scene. His job's done. And Jesus knew that. Therefore, out of an act of obedience, Jesus let somebody that was lesser than him baptize him. Sometimes we think roles and tasks within our life are beneath us. No, they're not. Who do we think we are? Amen? Servants of the Most High God. And if he told us to wash the dirtiest of feet, we need to be getting after it and washing the dirtiest of feet. Amen? As Jesus did. Jesus went to wash the disciples' feet and Peter said, Oh no! 
Jesus said, oh, yes. He lived in obedience. So what do we see here in this text of Scripture? Of course, we see the baptism of Jesus. We see the obedience of Jesus. See the obedience of John the Baptist. The Bible tells us that God prefers obedience over sacrifice. Sacrifice our time, we could sacrifice our money, we could sacrifice all kinds of things, but if we're not living in obedience, you know what? We're not really doing anything. We need to be obedient. Jesus was obedient all the way to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus was obedient, not my will be done, but thy. Be done. Even in the most difficult, trying time and hour of his life, Jesus was always obedient no matter what. Friends, if we're going to follow the footsteps of Jesus, we're going to have to live in obedience. If we're going to be disciples of Jesus and we're going to deny ourselves, we're going to take up our cross and we're going to follow him, we need to live in obedience. In fact, that's the very first act. Baptism for Christians, very first act that we need to be baptized. Again, it doesn't save us, but it's the very first act of obedience because Jesus said so. I'm going to do it because Jesus said so. First things you need to get saved. The moment you get saved, very first act of obedience is baptism. After that, every single day, every single moment, every single breath, Living in obedience to Jesus Christ. Living in obedience to the Father. Yes. The praise team comes on up here. I may not fully understand. I may not fully get it. I don't comprehend it all. But Jesus, you said to do it. Or you said to not do it. Whatever. I'm either going to do it or I'm not going to do it. Just because you said in your Lord, I'm your disciple. So as we all stand this morning, are there some areas of disobedience within your heart, within your life, within your walk? And you know it. Maybe you're the only one who knows it. It doesn't matter. God knows it. And you don't have to blurt it out to the world. You don't have to tell me. You don't have to tell anybody else. What you do need to do is go to the throne of grace and say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I've been living in disobedience. And if I'm going to follow you and I want to follow you, I pray that that's your heart. I really do. If it's not, there's some other issues there that you need to deal with. Your heart and your desire is not to follow Jesus every day. Whatever this is in my life, Jesus, I surrender it to you. Give me the strength and the courage to repent of it and live for you. You're here today and you're not saved. You don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. 
Maybe the reason you have no desire to follow Jesus is because you're not saved. Yeah, we could become backslidden. We could slip out of God's will. We could slip out of fellowship. But have you ever had a fellowship? Have you ever had a walk with Jesus? If not, I have decided to follow Jesus. Make that your life. You come today. I'm up here. You come as God stirs in your heart. I have decided to follow.